It's an era of change, of ideals and cultures constantly colliding. We need brave people who will find the way of hope in the chaos, who will elevate truth in their speech and activate reform in their lives. Lee Sloan welcomes you to this Brave Nation. Hey friend, you might be thinking, wait a second, did I download the wrong podcast? I thought this was Brave Conversations. Well, you're not wrong. This podcast is the podcast formerly known as Brave Conversations. It is now known as Brave Nation. And Brave Conversations was really great. I had so much fun doing it. And, you know, we were learning so much together, but we felt the need to take a slight change in our course with it. A couple of things I've realized over the years of doing this podcast is that, first of all, I just didn't want to just have open-ended conversations. And, um, you know, it was great to invite diverse voices to the table to expand our minds, but it's only the first step. And I want to take us in a particular direction on a journey that we can go on together. So Brave Nation is about cultural reform. We're going to begin narrowing our conversations to conversations about culture in particular. Topics like family relationships, sexuality, psychology, sociology, and politics as it relates to culture. And we're going to explore topics that directly challenge why we act the way that we do and believe the way that we believe. And secondly, we're going to seek to create an emotionally healthy community together. We know that pursuing emotional health sometimes gets messy, but we're not afraid of the mess. We're not afraid of unanswered questions. Emotional health is a big part of our journey. Whether we're talking about politics or personal issues, we're going to try to increase our emotional intelligence along the way. And finally, we want to embrace our faith. As a Christian, I know that my faith influences everything that I do and impacts every conversation that I have. And no matter what your faith journey has been, I believe that faith is inextricably incorporated into our worldview, our culture, and all of our choices. So faith is going to be a major theme in our conversations. And beyond the conversations that we have here on the podcast, I want to be offering some resources to you. This platform is more than a podcast. We know that if we want real cultural reform, we have to take what we've learned in conversation and turn it into positive momentum forward. We're going to be offering you opportunities to connect with us on our Brave Nation Circle subscription platform, where we're going to give you more in-depth content, unedited videos from our podcast guests, and an opportunity to connect with us personally and join in the conversation. So Brave Nation, let's dive in. We are going to have a fun conversation today because I have invited a special guest, Dr. Christine West. She is a business psychologist. And um, I thought I've been wanting to talk to somebody who's in this field because I think we need some some good psychology as a nation, don't you think? Now, I know our, our political system, like I think it's a good system because it recognizes that people are fallible. But in this process of like our, our democratic process, if you will, um, we have to disagree a lot and we have to talk a lot and we have to have conversations that, that will help us understand more. And I'm just wondering, I know p- politics has caused people kind of, it puts a little, it has kind of a negative connotation, you know? 
Um, but really it's just, it's just people, wherever there's people, there's going to be politics. Right. Right. (laughs) And so, um, is it possible, do you think to have emotionally healthy political discourse? (laughs) I'm going to say yes, but my yes comes from people need to be emotionally developed. So for example, I, Let's take a let's just take a journey about you know throughout the past of how we shifted as a culture. Being that I'm a little bit older than yourself, I being that when I was in say a, a teenager, the way that conflict was occurred, I I didn't have social media, I didn't have a smartphone, right? So part of things, I was not a keyboard warrior. Right. Okay. So what I was is that with the, with the relationships and the friendships that I had, I was accustomed to working through disagreement. Mm-hmm. People did not say things such as, I never, ever, ever had anybody say to me, I'm not going to be your friend anymore because you disagree with me. Yeah. Now, <laughs> in a less mature um, arena, did we call each other names. Of course we did. I mean, we were teenagers, Mm -hmm. but nobody sat there and said, you know, Hey, maybe they said, Hey, what's wrong with you? Why do you think that way? But you were able to voice why you thought that way, but it wasn't where you weren't invited to the group or to, you know, the event that was going on on Friday night. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So Part of what I've seen in an evolution, which as much as technology and social media platforms are for the greater good of connecting people to people that we would never know, yeah. people have forgotten how to literally have that emotional maturity because part of, here's something that takes a little deeper topic, is, is that one of the reasons why it's so easy for a hacker to hack into mine, yours, anybody's stuff is because they're a keyboard warrior that does, they don't have an emotional connection to you. Right. So when people psychologically do not have an emotional connection to you, they end up behaving and making decisions on social media platforms that are unhealthy. So if, if you don't agree with me, then I'm already judging you and labeling you that, okay, I can't have a healthy conversation. So the only way that I believe health is to avoid the conflict. And then I unfriend you, block you. And then I'm, or another level is if my level of communication is only at the surface and once challenged, then I have no out except for to unfriend and block. Right. So can, so can we? Yes, if we're developed to. Yeah. So some people are perfectly fine with having these types of conversations. But in reality, because of conditioning about how people have been, you know, operating, Mm -hmm. most people are uncomfortable once there's something conflictive. So look at let's just look at topics as far as when, like the divorce rate, there's 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 a high divorce rate. Okay, you don't agree with me or, uh, you know, things that people fight about in a marriage. Money. Money is a big issue. So you have a different spending pattern than me. So I'm going to scream and yell 
instead of saying something such as let's talk about and get on the same page, or this is why this is important to me, or this is, you know, we need to come to an agreement Mm -hmm. about how we operate. And I think people have forgotten how to do that. Mm -hmm. Because in social media platforms, and this is all generations, Mm -hmm. I have seen too many people that when it comes to political discussions, that if whether you agree with me or you don't agree with me, okay, well, you like this person. So therefore, I can't be your friend. And these are people I've seen. I had this experience myself. Logically, can we do it? Yes. Mm -hmm. But are we? No. Yeah. And I mean, you bring up a good point about the the social media and the interaction with social media, because, yeah, I think we just get into that mode um, where it's not natural to have a conversation with everyone at the same time. Like, that's not how we were made. We were made to get to know people slowly and we were made to get to have these conversations in smaller groups or one-on-one and when it when it just raises the level of of tribalism when you then have this this whole thing of um losing face you know in front of everyone and then everyone judging you and if you know too much about somebody when you meet them that's not really how we were designed we were designed to get to know people slowly and develop that so it's really it's been this kind of weird experiment that we've been in and we found that the toxicity it seems like the tribalism has has risen i agree with that but here's something in addition to take it even a deeper level is i think the judgment of people has arisen that creates the toxicity but also from another point of view uh, you know staying in the psychological lane is how people interpret what they see on social media is based on their perceptions versus things. Is it really reality? Right. Because when people see through a lens, you have to consider that where that person is emotionally, mentally, where they're at in their level of consciousness. Right. So for example, Because I'm a psychologist, people have defined what a psychologist does, and they're not a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And so people have that are broken people or have a different type of experience, they've already put me into a category or a box that that they want me to communicate or validate their opinions therefore if I don't as a psychologist I'm wrong and I'm toxic Mm -hmm. yeah and and I've even seen people on social media that have said things that people have taken seriously but I'm like if you knew this person you wouldn't even be listening like you wouldn't (laughs) because if you understood like they're not all the way there, <laughs> like, but, but you wouldn't know that unless you're in a room with that person and you start getting triggered by them. And you're like, wait a second, you know, you can't treat everyone as seriously. <laughs> well, okay. But here's something else. We have to all be responsible for those emotional triggers because to me, if I get triggered, everybody gets triggered. Mm-hmm. It's more of identifying and that's the emotional maturity about, Okay, where am I at? Why, you know, maybe, you know, most people get more triggered when they're stressed. 
But something back to the social media, I think that, and back to your first question, now that I'm thinking about it, I think a lot of people have started shifting to more of that tribal uh, on social media. A lot of my friends have started unfriending like people that they don't even know. And I've even uh, started that myself. Unless I know you or actually want to get to know you more, I don't want to have like 50,000 you know, people on my personal like Facebook page, for example. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more that the shift, and I've seen this more in the Gen X of, with social media of wanting to more of have that fireside chats, where it's that intimate uh, you know, group, whether you're sharing an online game together or it's a particular topic. And I would say even I found with myself that when I first got on social media, it was more of this game of, okay, how many friends can you have? Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, I got all these friends. And it's definitely psychological about it. But I remember there used to be a commercial that was so funny about the kid that was saying, look how many friends I have, but mom and dad were out biking. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel back to the value of what people really are finding important. At least for me, the quality and the meaningful relationships are more important yeah. than saying that, oh, okay, I've maxed out my account and I have 5,000. I can't have any more friends because yeah. it's because I would personally, if I go back to my own core, which I suggest everybody else does, look at who you are. Yeah. And most people want, if they're being honest, want that connection, whether yeah. it's with one person or a group of 50. Right. Yeah. So, so how do we, let's move forward then as far as how do we become emotionally healthy enough to have positive and um, insightful conversations, especially around something as volatile as politics? Well, a couple of ways, a few tips, you know, I'll give your listeners, um, you know, that are a few takeaways. When it comes to politics, here's something to remember. And, and I want to take this first start on, on the external, which is not usually something I do, but I, would, I do want to take it on the external because uh, politics, if you look at true politicians, I do not consider politicians to have high emotional intelligence. <laughs> I consider politicians to be masters at emotional deception. Mm. So, and I say that because what politicians know how to do extremely well is they know how to connect into the emotional body of whether, you know, whether what the somebody's fears are, what their frustrations are, making promises. Mm-hmm. It all sounds great. Some are better communicators than others. Some are more charismatic than others. Mm-hmm. So they know how to play the emotions of their crowd. So back to now, let's look at the internal of your question. If I already know that my audience is doing what they're going to do because 
of they want votes. So the moment that a politician is going into the bashing and the negative, for me personally, I'm, to me, that's a, an emotionally unintelligent move. Because I want to know what that politician stands for when it comes to politics. And so how do people get mature is it first needs to be looked upon as why am I so attached to this, you know, this argument? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when we're attached, then, then we take everything as offensive. Well, I think part of the problem is um, they get rewarded in the political realm for doing things that are emotionally unhealthy. So (laughs) as it actually works, because bashing your opponent does work, that it's been shown that, you know, if you show negative things, it's actually going to motivate someone to vote, you know, a certain way. So I I don't know how we really get away from that. You know, I. I'll tell you. Okay, again, one woman's one woman. I'm not a, a political expert. I'm an emotional intelligence expert. I'm a psychologist. Yeah, yeah. The more people that are waking up and are that are done with that type, it's us people taking the stand. Yeah, and expecting more about the people that actually serve us. Right. They are not our leaders. They are our servants. Mm-hmm. We need to s- switch our perception about who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, go on. If if we, if we start having emotionally healthy conversations, we'll notice that as a, as something completely foreign and different. It's the fact that we're not having good conversations too, that we're acting in tribalism. And so, you know, what ways can we cultivate that? Like, you know, get people into our sphere that actually disagree with us. Cause I think fewer and fewer of us are talking to people that are actually different from us. Um, I agree with you to a point, but I would say I, as a practice, I'm constantly getting in conversations with people who disagree with me. Yeah. And I do that. And I encourage people to do that. And the reason I say I do it is because that's how I learn. Mm -hmm. But again, what I'm doing is I go into the conversation, not looking to change somebody's mind. Mm -hmm. I go into the conversation to learn from the other person about why they think a certain way. First of all, how to have emotionally healthy conversations. We need to get over the fear of conflict. We need to get over the fear that there is something incorrect about somebody saying, well, I see it this way. Now, I understand some people fly off the handle with anger, but it doesn't mean that you need to jump into their anger and respond that way. Right. I mean, we have a good reason in so- sometimes to be afraid of conflict because, you know, there, we could get canceled. We could get we could get our businesses ruined. I mean, it's a big deal now. <laughs> and, and, and so it, it's a different look. I'm not looking to my intent is not to sit here and say everybody needs to think like me. Mm-hmm. But if I look at, you know, to politics, if our forefathers didn't challenge the system, then there would not be the United States of America. Yeah. If there wasn't people that in, you know, in the 1700s, late 1700s say, you know, this is not the way that we want to be. Yeah. I'm not saying that you have to walk around triggering people and triggering people to, you know, say, okay, I want to get an argument with you. It's emotionally intelligent conversations are, Here's part of the you know, the model that I use. I love teaching people assertive empathy. 
And, and some people would say, well, that's kind of a polar opposite. But here, if I'm being assertive, I'm being direct and not offensive. And empathy is I'm looking at things from the perspective that I don't need to experience what you experience, but I'm looking to understand how mm-hmm. you operate. So empathy yeah. is about you. Right. So I, I'm, so it's getting our society out of the passive aggression because passive aggression would be me be sitting in fear saying, Hey, I agree with you. And then I go talk behind your back. Yeah. So we need to be able to respect each other enough, but it's the respect starts with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Years ago, we, st- we, years ago, we were talking about tolerance and how we need to tolerate, you know, different people's beliefs and stuff. And now nobody's talking about tolerance. <laughs> and um, in fact, I feel like there's some rhetoric that's going around of y- if you don't stop someone's toxic beliefs, you're, you're agreeing with them and you're, you're partnering with them. If you don't actively say, oh, that's not okay to think that way, then you're actually promoting that. And I, I feel like that's a loss of tolerance. Well, what do you think about that? I got a okay, couple different views on that. Twofold, and I'm going to answer it. One, we need to be in a society for heal from the codependence that that has flooded our society. And when I hear we need to stop them, well, I don't think I need to stop anybody except for what I need to do is model who I am and allow them to pick up a good example. You know, since this conversation, I've thought more and more about this, and I think that there's really some truth in here that there are certain times that if we don't speak up, we're somewhat becoming accomplices to the evil that occurs around us. But I also think that it's helpful if we really hone in and define on what those circumstances are. It's not an easy line to define because it's based on our personal convictions and our sense of personal boundaries. Where does my responsibility as a member of society begin and end? I don't pretend to have the full answer, but here's where I've come with it so far. As a general rule, I think that we need to maintain the freedom for people to express their discontent and disagreement as much as possible. As adults, it is our job to speak up for, first of all, for ourselves, if we're being abused or taken advantage of. And then there are some in society who may be weaker or have less of an ability or opportunity to speak up for themselves and to actually advocate for themselves. In those cases, we can be their advocate, and we should. But we need to be careful to maintain a level of tolerance, even in doing so, that says if someone is not causing bodily or severe psychological damage to someone else, we need to allow that person sometimes to be wrong, to be a jerk, even sometimes to be immoral. We cannot and should not stop everyone from being wrong in our presence. It's in trying to eliminate all of what we deem as wrong in the world that actually creates, I believe, the greatest evil and the greatest dictatorship of all. And I think that this is the difference in what we call empty religion versus true faith. Now, religion, even in the general sense of it, even in the secular brand of religion, tries to get people to conform to their will, regardless of what's going on in people's hearts. 
They're about bending people into conformity, not loving people into transformation. And I think if we ever try to do that, no no matter what side of the political aisle we're on, we're going to be regressing, even if we think we're being progressive. Now, there is much more to this conversation than I posted here today, and so you can find that conversation in my new platform where you can get full access to all these video versions and interviews of the podcasts. Um, So stay tuned, and I'll be announcing when that platform is up for you to see. But in the meantime, for more on my guest, Christine West, you can go to her website at thebusinessmd.net. Until next time, here's a sneak peek of our next episode where we get even braver talking about a forbidden subject. About age uh, seven or eight, we would get a book called uh, Susie's Hamsters. Mm-hmm. And the book would appear on your bed. It was about sex and reproductive organs. And then it would stay about two days. We were all avid readers. So I read the book and then poof, it was, it was here. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, the same thing happened magically with my sisters, you know. <laughs> it's like the the sexual education tooth fairy. <laughs> right. Exactly. But it was not helpful. Brave Nation.